And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with me today is Pastor Ben Miller, the pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church on Long Island in Huntington, New York. And Ben, it's great to have you with us today. Good to be back, Dan. Thank you. Um, today on the uh, on the docket, as it were, is uh, the question of generational discipleship. And Ben, you suggested this as we exchanged some notes and so I'd like to explore that with you, and uh, it may be a, a new term to our listeners, and maybe you can help us kind of peel the layers of the onion. What is meant by this term and, and the richness of it? Well, I think um, uh, in, my, in my years now as a pastor, um, one of the things I have felt in my own life as a Christian and as I've trying to minister to God's people is, is a, a sort of tension between two impulses, and I'll label them, these might be a little bit clumsy, but as, as label them as sort of a primitivist impulse and a progressivist impulse. We might uh, recognize maybe the more popular term, sort of, you know, progressive and conservative, uh, traditionalist or, you know, contemporary. Uh, but there's there's a pull to the past and a pull to the future. Uh, there's a... And this isn't just in, in the life of the church. I think this is just part of being human. Uh, there, there's a, a, a pull back to try to reestablish the glory days or, you know, some time in the past where things were more the way we wish they were, were now. Uh, and then so there's sort of the primitivist impulse. And then, obviously, there's the fact that we are moving into an, uh, a largely invisible future, and um, that generates a lot of enthusiasm and excitement. You know, the past is what it is, but the future is full of possibilities for change and growth and development and so on. And the present moment of our lives is caught between those two impulses, um, and I really do think that affects the church a lot uh, every day. <laughs> um, you know, there, there is clearly a, <clears throat> a progressivist impulse in the church. We, we, we look to the future, and, and we should. Um, I think sometimes there can be an overemphasis on sort of progress and moving ahead and pressing into the future. Um, I grew up in circles where that manifested itself as kind of just a constant quest for new moves of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, always trying to sort of ride the wave of the newest thing the Holy Spirit was doing. And um, now, of course, we're living in a very fast-paced and fast-changing world where new stuff's coming along all the time. And, um, you know, there's a t- temptation for the church to be very swept up in the latest and greatest things. And um, um, I think the... the uh, the other complicating factor is, is the develop, uh, development, the, the rise of youth culture as a, an identifiable thing in the 20th century and, and into the 21st, where um, uh, there's the, we sort of created the adolescent, created the teen, and began marketing to that, uh, that age group. And I think the church has really often succumbed to a lot of pressure to, to do the same thing. So there's sort of this progressivist thing. And, and then, of course... Sometimes in reaction to that, sometimes not, there's more the primitivist impulse of, boy, if we could just get back to the early church, or we could just get back to 600 years ago, or you know, whatever it might be, uh, we, if we just get back to the 1950s, or, or you know, whatever the, the glory days are. Um, and I, I think every family um, feels that, the fact that you've always got grandfathers, fathers, and children, um, 
and and individual as individuals we feel that feel that you know I wish I could go back ten years I can't wait for ten years from now these, these sorts of things so you know all of that um, I, I I've you know grappled with as a pastor and and I think what uh, what's important to recognize is that both of these impulses have deep truth in them. Um, Progressivists need to remember that the kingdom of God really does have a past. <laughs> uh, you know, as one person put it, the Holy Spirit has a past. Um, we really have received that past in trust um, and need to be responsible with it. On the other hand, primitivists need to remember that the kingdom of God really does have a future. God has spoken about the future, and uh, we look to the grandeur of that future, and we hold that future in trust. And where this really uh, rubber meets the road with this, I think, for me as a father of four and as a a pastor uh, at Trinity, is that we need as a church to really be constantly thinking about the deposit of the faith we have received and not sort of be constantly surrendering to a a neophilia, you know, just this endless love of things new, but really really anchor ourselves in the wisdom of our fathers and grandfathers. On the other hand, um, we very much need to think about the fact that we are one little episode, as it were, in the, in the sequence of the development of God's kingdom in the earth and the growth of his church and the advance of his gospel, and we're going to die. <laughs> and we really need to think about what Jesus has in mind for our children and grandchildren and make sure that we are... Um, treating that next generation of the church as the trust that it is. So that's kind of, when I talk about generational discipleship, I'm thinking in, in sort of the, the, the cross-currents there about what it means to be disciples of Jesus, faithful followers of Jesus, who can do more than just saying, I've decided to follow Jesus. We are doing that in the company of our grand, you know, great-grandfathers and in the company of our little ones, and in a certain sense, with a view to unborn generations even, um, that's how God made the human race to function biologically, and it's, I believe, absolutely part of his redemptive program as well. So that was kind of the, the matrix of thought out of which this uh, term arose, and maybe you'll have some follow-up questions on that. <laughs> that's very helpful. Um, yeah, certainly we, it seems to me that we need to dig deep and understand and appreciate and, and implement the wisdom of previous generations where that where that wisdom lines up with God's wisdom as, as revealed in the scriptures. Um, and certainly uh, we serve a God who holds the future in his hands, and the future is coming. I mean, there's no, we have no choice in that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know right. pending the Lord's return, and even that is yet future. Uh, yes. I mean, he holds this future in his hands, so this is a good tension that that exists here, but how do we handle it? We need, right. a, we need a lot of... Uh, godly wisdom. I, I want to say this. I, it just keeps coming back to my mind. I, I'm so pleased if I can reveal this. Um, our, our son and daughter-in-law are, are in your church, yes. and I, I feel so very comfortable knowing that they are being properly taught, and it's a continuum of the Christian worldview that we, we tried to instill in him while he was here in, in our family growing up. And now he's a young man, and you know they they chose to go to your church because of the teaching as well as the the worship and and the richness of the church and what a blessing that is to my wife and me, knowing that uh here's these kids being cared for yeah. pastorally and the 
the continuum of the teaching, and yeah. it, and it just ties right into um, this discussion today. So I I couldn't yeah. help but share that. <laughs> well, we, we love them. I mean, it's just so good to have them as part of us. And I I think this is something. See, I, I didn't uh, I didn't grow up in again in in a, in a sort of church circle where this was taught in any explicit way at all. But one of the things that has really helped me a lot. Uh, before I even became a father, I began exploring this, but I've really seen the cash value of it now as a father. Um, the Bible talks a lot about something called the covenant, and I know that's something that you've explored on your program before, but um, the fact that uh, going clear back, obviously, to Abraham and, and throughout the scriptures, you see that God takes households to himself, and um, the expectation is that fathers and mothers are not sort of atomized servants of the Lord, uh, whether you know Yahweh, God, in the Old Testament, or as he reveals himself as more clearly the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the, in the New Testament. Um, we, we, are, we are disciples as household. And, and this, is, this has really helped me, because um, I had some real doubts about whether at one time, about whether that carried over into the New Testament. One of the things that's really hit me uh, in recent years, reading through the New Testament, has been how when Paul opens up letters such as Ephesians or Colossians, we, we may have, I may have mentioned this before on, on the show here, um, he starts talking about God's grace to the disciples of Jesus to start talking about the you know, Ephesians 1, about the, the grand redemption plan, uh, blessings given to us in the heavenly places in Christ before the foundations of the world and so on. And then in the second half of Colossians and Ephesians, he moves into practical directives. Okay, this is who you are as blood-bought, uh, chosen, spirit-filled saints. Now let's talk about what that looks like every day. Let's talk about walking worthy of the calling with which you've been called, right? And, and then he starts breaking it down. And he breaks it down in terms of not just general Christian ethics, but now let's talk about what it means as a wife who's a disciple, or a husband who's a disciple, or a child who's a disciple, or a father who's a disciple, or a servant or a master. And the household becomes, in a particular and unique way, a theater of discipleship, um, and the little the little people are, are included, right? I mean, the, the the expectation is that from the time you are old enough to obey your parents and the Lord, you're a disciple of Jesus. Oh yeah, you're one of these called saints that God is talking to, and uh, you know your your parents may need to translate that for you a lot early on, but you're part of this in every way, and and that has just helped me so much in looking at my own children to realize that they are no less disciples than I am, and this whole it's really forced me to think about the implications of my discipleship for my children's discipleship, even as I have to think a lot about how my grandparents, great-grandparents in, in the faith, their discipleship has implications for me. Uh, so that's all tied up in this, and you know, I can see that in your household very beautifully. Well, praise the Lord for whatever good has come out of here. Um, I keep being reminded also of, of the fact that there is ultimate truth. Um, it's not like, I mentioned this once before in, on another show, that, um, you know, there's this little mantra on one of the news agencies that we're fair and balanced. Well, I'm not sure I I, I think that that's, that's kind of nice maybe for a news agency, I'm not sure, but that's not how you run your home. You run your home based on truth. And, and if I want to be balanced, that means I've got to bring in um, maybe some, some aspect of... Um, 
of other religions, maybe Sharia, yeah. maybe Sharia law. You know, maybe yeah. some. You know, obviously, I wouldn't do that. Right. But, right. but you know, that sort of reasoning can really get you in trouble. And I think it's deceptive. I think our minds need to be um, brought in line with the law word of God. And, well, you know. I do. I mean, and that's. I think where we need to go back to Matthew twenty-eight, where the sort of the uh, the inaugural address of 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 the Christian discipleship, if you if you like, where Jesus talks about going into all the world, discipling the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teaching them to what to obey, uh, teaching them to do all things that I've commanded you. And I think the 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 central tenet of Christian discipleship is the confession: Jesus is Lord. Amen. There's not, this is not, you know, it's not an oligarchy. This is, there's one Lord. There's one king and head. And, um, and, and uh, just that absolute sovereignty of, of not just God, but God through his son, Jesus Christ, who's now been given the nations, given he's heir of all things. Um, and, and I think working both with our fathers and with our children out of that what what does it mean every day practically that we we live with a king and you know dad doesn't call the shots uh the theologian 500 years ago doesn't call the shots um you know the 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 youth culture around us doesn't call the shots jesus you know his commandments are what we are drawing from at all times that's our norm that's our standard and, and we're not looking outside of the word of, of our lord uh, to find out our marching orders that, i think that's just massively important thing to keep in view. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I love that Matthew 28 reference. You reminded me also of, uh, of another reference from uh, the Old Testament, and that's uh, Deuteronomy 6. Yes. Uh, the Shema Israel, yep. I think it's called, where it says, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yes. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then it goes on to tell us about talking about the truth of God to our children, basically all hours of the day and night. Yes. Uh, well, I think that the, the New Testament assumes both that mosaic kind of contemplative culture, uh, contemplative community uh, in, in, that's, that's so beautifully uh, expressed by the psalmist in terms of meditation um, on the Word of God. I mean, when Paul says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, I mean, that's just a New Testament version of that Old Testament Shema. I mean, these things that I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall talk of them. Uh, as you walk by the way, as you sit in your house, as you rise up and lie down. And I think one of the things in a fast-paced world like we live in now, one of the things that, you know, if we're going to talk about discipleship, we need to be marinating in the word of our covenant Lord. We, we need to be marinating our, our hearts and minds. And, and, and I, by that, I don't just mean private meditation. I mean, as families, and all, really, ultimately, as churches, we need to be talking about and reflecting on and airing out the promises and commandments of the Lord our God all the time. I think that's really what preaching is intended to sort of spark. Uh, family worship plays into that. Um, but I also think that we need to develop a kind of what I call a, a culture of conversation where there's just sort of an ongoing running dialogue about the what has God said and what are the implications of that and how are we doing working that out. I mean, I just met with some fathers Sunday night and we are just talking about, you know, we happen to be homeschooling fathers and we were asking the question, what... what what on earth we want to see in our children when they're 18? 
what, what, what does God want for them? Um, how, how do you know if you've succeeded as a father? <laughs> and it's just, there's not maybe one right answer to that, but just it's a conversation. And certainly with our children. My little ones are getting now to sort of those dreaded so-called preteen years where there's just a need for a lot of dinner table time to just talk about who God is and what he wants us, what he's told us to believe about him and what he's commanded us to do and not do and all that. And not just me talking at the kids, but talking with them, dialogue. Because that's, that, I believe, is the matrix out of which they themselves will then be able to work that out in their, in their own lives. And they have to be taught how to do it. I don't think discipleship is sort of natural. <laughs> it doesn't happen by osmosis. I mean, it, it has to be taught. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes. Well, these uh, these little ones that God gives a Christian family are are very special. I, I believe that God particularly places them into that family, and so they have really they have special privileges just by virtue of the fact of being born into that home. And uh, God just he just I believe he he expects these parents to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, you know, going back to that contrast with that uh, fair and balanced, well, um, let God define what's fair, and, and let God give us the balance, because he's He's the ultimate author of truth. Um, so here's these children, uh, they're born into a Christian home, and so that Christian home is part of a church. Yeah. How does it all work out? Can you give us some little tidbits or stories or illustrations of how these um, families are cared for within yeah. the church, maybe? Well, that's a great and a, and a broad question. Um, one one thing I'll just say sort of at the family level, though it, I'll talk in a minute about how it plays out in the church, too, um, is t- treating our children uh, as the disciples that they really are, which is to say, from the earliest days, just leaving them in no doubt about their identity. One of the things that I think is really, really unfortunate is that is when Christian parents sort of have this, well, we'll wait and see attitude about their children. Uh, we'll wait and see if they decide to follow Jesus. We'll wait and see if they commit themselves to the Christian faith. In fact, I've even heard parents say, well, you know, we really don't know if their faith is for real until they've sort of tested it out there against all the unbelief of the, of the world, and, and then we know it's, it's real. I think that's a mistake. Um, oh, yeah. I think from the, from the earliest possible, in the earliest days, I mean, from, from the cradle, children need to be taught, first of all, that God loves them, that he is their father, their savior, you know, the spirit belongs to them, all the privileges of the kingdom are theirs. Then, out of that love, we love God because he first loved us, so we need to get the priority straight. But out of that love, then, there's just a very gracious expectation. Of course you'll follow God. Of course you'll obey him because, you know, he, he's, he loved you. He gave his son for you. The life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you, right, in Galatians 2. And, and that's just the expectation. Now, I think a church can provide a broader community culture in which that is fostered. I mean, we, we've really worked on this at Trinity in our liturgy, and I'm not advocating for one liturgy style here at all, but we have a very participatory liturgy in part because we want something for the children to do. I don't think it's, I don't think adults should be sort of sitting and watching worship, and I don't think it's all helpful for children to feel like they're just sort of sitting and watching adults worship. Um, and we have lots of sort of verbal responses in our worship, and, and it's been really, I, I've mentioned this when we talked last year at Advent, it's really, really great to watch the kids memorizing the whole Nicene Creed, because they say it with us every Sunday, and, and it's interesting, there's even a little 
a disabled boy in our congregation who has trouble with verbal articulation, but um, you can hear when we're reciting the creed together, confessing our faith together, he, he gets the last word of each line. And I, I hear it every week, and it just it almost moves me to tears because it's, he feels very much a part of this corporate confession. So I think, I think there are ways in which even in worship and certainly in our just sharing life together, in our you know, engaging in community events, hospitality, feasting together, prayer times. You know, our kids participate. We don't, we don't shuttle the children off away from the prayer meeting once a month. They're, they're there praying with us. And when you hear these little six-, seven-, eight-year-old children pouring out their hearts to the Lord in the, in the company of the adults. I mean, again, it's just very moving because you realize they, they know that God is their God and he hears them. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I love this. This is, you're just sparking uh, some emotion here in my own heart, and especially when you said um, um, you don't want to have a wait-and-see attitude, like, oh, little boy is going to choose, and, yes. and we don't want to get in his way. Well, that's terrible because that's Satan's lie. Absolutely. Um, he's convinced you of truth that's antithetical to the Christian yep. worldview, and yep. and don't buy into that. Um, yep. We we are to, I, I like to say, we're to treat these little ones as Christians until proven otherwise. Absolutely, and and to raise them as little Christians. Yeah, and again, we're right back to the to the fact that Jesus and the apostles treat them as disciples. We have yes. no right to overturn that judgment. Oh yes, very very much so. We don't we don't forbid the little ones of coming to Jesus and we actually direct them how to exactly. <laughs> how to do that's that. Yeah. Well, we've yeah. got about um 3 minutes or so left. Um maybe some uh, parting advice. Today I'm talking with uh, Pastor Ben Miller of Trinity Church in Huntington, New York. And, uh, Ben, we visited your church one time, my wife and I, and we just loved it. It was like a little bit of heaven on earth. Praise the Lord. And, I, you know, if anyone's listening and you're anywhere near Huntington, New York, by all means, at least one Sunday, try to visit Trinity Church because uh, your your soul will be lifted up into the heavenlies, as it were. Thank you, brother. Well, it's, it's, it's delightful. One, and, and on that, if I had one thing I'd... I would want to say, here I would have to confess my own sins often as a, as a father, but I, I think one of the ways that we can foster generational discipleship is just living out more and more the joy of God in his people. Hmm. Um, I, I have found with my own children, they are going to learn an awful lot about how God views them by simple little things, even like just my smiling at them when they walk into the room and just enjoying them and being glad to see them when I come home or they come home. And yes. just, you know, the Lord delights in his people. That, that is hard to believe because we're a mess. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as a parent, you have an opportunity, opportunity to enact that favor of God in so many sort of subtle ways and, you know, when you're a Christian parent and you have a passion for righteousness and you have this great zeal for holiness in yourself and in your household, you know, you, you can come off very hard and you can present, in a sense, God as hard. And, I mean, the demands of discipleship are rigorous, but they're always couched in this just phenomenal grace. And I guess if I have just one thing I'd say about sort of the atmosphere of church life and the atmosphere of the home, it would be, you know, let the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and let's let that shine out in the mood that we cultivate uh, as parents and as church leaders, that 
God takes joy in this, and so we do too. I think it's a very big deal, actually. Well, amen. Um, thank you very much for this discussion today, Ben. It's a real delight to have you on the phone line with us. And uh, today we've been talking about generational discipleship. Our guest is Pastor Ben Miller of Trinity Church, Huntington, New York, which is on Long Island. And Ben, if our listeners would like to visit your website, what is that, please? Uh, Trinity Church, Long Island is is the website. Um, Just trinitychurchlongisland.com. Okay, well, that's simple enough. And if they have a question for you, um, we'll give out our email address here at the station, which is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. If you have a question for Pastor Ben Miller, we'll just forward it right on through to him. And so that way you only need one email address. Pastor Ben, thank you, brother, for joining us again for another edition of A Plain Answer. My pleasure, Dan. Thank you. To our listener, this entire episode is up on our website. Please visit us at RedeemerBroadcasting.org and join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs> 